Welcome to Raiders on the Record, the podcast featuring Hastings High School Athletics. I'm Athletic Director Trent Hansen. My colleague Tim Hanneberg and I work together to bring you the stories of Raiders sports. We are thrilled to share conversations with the athletes, coaches, and alumni that represent Raider Nation. Check back weekly and be sure to share this podcast with your friends in the Raiders Network. Nick Willett is a 1993 graduate of Blue Earth Area High School. While in high school, he was a three-sport athlete where he competed in basketball, tennis, and cross-country. After graduation, Nick attended St. John's University where he majored in English education and competed in tennis. Nick taught English for, for one year at Blue Earth Area High School before being hired at Hastings High School in 2000. During his teaching career, he has coached tennis at a variety of levels. These include middle school for three years, JV boys for two years, varsity girls for five years, and the head boys coach for 15 years. Mick retired from the boys head tennis position in 2020 and is still teaching English at Hastings High School. Mick brings an enormous amount of experience and knowledge to this episode, where he reflects on the teachers and coaches who impacted his life and how that molded his coaching and teaching style. All right, here we are with Mick Willett, longtime tennis coach, current teacher as well at Hastings High School. Mick, we'll get into all your background, all your coaching stats and everything like that. We do like to start with a couple questions to get a little background information on you first, though, so people get to know who you are and kind of what makes you tick. So I'll start out with our first one here. What is your hometown? What high school did you graduate from and when did you graduate high school? Yeah, I graduated 1993. My hometown is actually a really tiny, small farming community in southern Minnesota. It's called Delavan, population about 300. But we had a K-12 through school for a long time. Uh, but about the time I went into seventh grade, Delavan merged with Blue Earth. So I headed over to the big city in Blue Earth area and um, the Blue Earth Bucks. That's where I graduated. Nice. Tell us about your family growing up too. So brothers, sisters, mom and dad, where your parents worked. Did you guys move around a little bit? Did you always grow up in the same house? And then uh, maybe talk about the transition to Blue Earth area. Was that kind of pretty seamless growing from the small town to maybe a little bit bigger town or kind of what that was like too? Yeah, that was kind of my first, I mean, that was, yeah, very challenging thing. I'd lived in this small town of about 300 people for, you know, my first, what, 12 years or whatever. So that was life changing to go where, and I went, my parents moved me a year before the rest of the town came. They just kind of wanted to get a jump start on it. They knew it was going to happen. They said, might as well start it a little bit early. Um, and part of that was they found this amazing house out in the woods, uh, just outside of Blue Earth that we moved to. So I was, I was a townie in the small town, but then it was a pretty idyllic way to grow up. Um, just one brother, two years older than me. And uh, we got along great, but we had very different interests um, growing up. He was kind of a computer nerd and um, into theater, and I was, you know, the sports kid. We both played music, um, and we connected. We worked together at my dad's farm. My dad farmed with three of his brothers. Um, so that was our summer job, and I have two cousins that are close in age. So that really the four of us were, were a tight-knit group, and, and we bonded together doing manual labor out on the farm, you know, picking weeds and, and, you know, getting rocks out of the field and whatever else my dad and our uncles wanted us to do. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a pretty nice life. My mom was an art teacher. Um, she, in seventh grade, she was my art teacher, which was, uh, I always gives you perspective. I always kind of think about how I teach or coach my kids. Never, um, been perfect at it or really good at it, I don't think, but I'm, um, I've done a lot of reflecting on that lately. And I think, um, now I'm, it's, it's getting a lot more comfortable. I'm having a lot of fun this year, coaching my, my son with, with tennis. He's playing a little tennis this year. And, uh, my youngest Joey, he's playing baseball this year. Um, and my daughter Maddie, she's doing a little bit of tennis as well. So I'm getting, going to have, I think have a lot of opportunities this summer to coach them. They're all kind of ready and willing to be coached. So the timing is, is pretty good for me not coaching now. Nice. 
So this is kind of a sports podcast and we, we center around a lot of sports and interview people that are sports is kind of a main, main thing in their life. So think about your first or your best earlier sports, earliest sports memory. Um, this could be playing catch with your back with your dad in the backyard. It could be a tennis thing, a basketball thing. So what do you think your best or your earliest sports memory is? I just remember, I mean, I was baseball obsessed growing up. Um, and so one of my earliest memories is just, we had a, at, at the house in Delavan, um, we had a pretty sweet side lot. I, I think it was, we had like a double lot growing up. So, but there was no, you know, and, and, uh, so the neighborhood kids of all ages got together, we played baseball. That was just the summer ritual. You know, we just, whoever's around, that's just kind of what we did all day long. And then there was an act in like a farm field behind our house. So, um, and we had a fence like built there. So there was like a legit home run fence. <laughs> that's, you know, once you got old enough, you could, you know, that was always a thing. Like someday I want to be able to hit home runs over that fence. And I think by the time I got to like fourth or fifth grade, I could finally, you know, hit balls over that fence. So that's probably my earliest sports and just longest lasting, most impressionable one. And um, what that led to was just an obsession with, with baseball, everything baseball. Um, and when I was in seventh grade, that's when the, it was 1987. That's when the twins, you know, made the world series. And so, um, I had an aunt who was baseball obsessed too. And at the beginning of that year, she promised me, uh, if the twins make it the world series, she's going to find a way to take me. And because they had just, uh, you know, signed Jeff Reardon and a few other pitchers, you know, and it was like they might be good this year. And so she made that promise and true to her word, she got me ticket for the, for game seven. So, uh, that's, that's the sports memory that I, that forever etched in my mind for sure. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, moving on then you maybe already talked about this too, working uh, on the farm and stuff, uh, rock picking and, and maybe a uh, detail some corn and all that kind of stuff too. You're always working in the field. So what do you think your earliest job was? Uh, this could be a paid job maybe after you're working on the farm or maybe the farm was your whole life growing up too. So uh, what do you think your first job was? Yeah, that, that was it. I mean, even when we were in like fourth grade or whatever, they started bringing us out there and unpaid, you know, probably some child labor laws being violated. But even once we started getting paid, I think my cousin, let me joke about all the time, it was probably like three bucks an hour uh, that we were getting paid for the longest time. Uh, but it was a great summer job. You, you know, it was, I didn't appreciate it at the time, of course, but I appreciated working with my, my brother and my cousins and, you know, just some of the characters out there, my uncles, just being able to spend time with people I, I care a great deal about. And, you know, the, the more you're suffering doing a job, the, the more you bond with the people around you. Um, and so my cousins and, and my brother, we, of course, we've got incredible memories, um, about about the work that that we did out there and, and um constantly are, are making references you know when we get together still about you know just yeah being in the field all day or um at some point we stopped walking beans you know where you're picking the weeds out of the field by hand and we got to upgrade to um spraying weeds so we get to sit on the front of a tractor and have these like wands we call them to spray the weeds um, we just think about, you know, all the cancerous chemicals that went into our bodies as we're just sitting out there half naked and the wind blowing chemical all over us. <laughs> you know, this that kind of stuff, you know. That was an upgrade, though. That kind of Yeah, thing. it was an upgrade. Absolutely. Get to ride. You know, that was luxurious not to have to walk. I, I sometimes wonder how many miles we walked. but But you think about the values you learn, you know, doing a hard day's work, manual labor. Mm -hmm. Um it makes sitting in, in class or, you know, whatever other jobs I think I, you know, um, look glamorous and, and really made me motivated to go to college. I hadn't, I, like I said, I had no desire to, to make that my career. Um, so I think it really motivated me to get good grades, go to college, get something that wasn't manual labor <laughs> for sure. For sure. I think you're about my third or fourth person that's had to, uh, well, I don't know if you had to, but detasseling corn so that was a that's been a popular job growing up so you're about the third or fourth person that's yeah. had to do that so yeah, that is that, so, is uh, a, that seems like that torture but that's job. Okay. yeah 
All right, last one here then. Getting to know you here, Milk Mick. Um, you could pick any of these you want, but maybe pick about three of them. And if you want to pick a couple of them, that's okay too. So All right. uh, your favorite movie, your favorite food, your favorite artist, and this is going to be a big one for you, favorite author, and then your favorite time of the year. Favorite movie still is The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my students know that. I did a Lebowski week couple years ago <laughs> where I was teaching them dudism. I was all about trying to get them to take on a new perspective, but you came out just, as a, the dude for the um, thumb wrestling contest one year too. So that was that's like, right. Yeah. For the paper. Rock. And, and by the way, I'm still the uh, reigning champion for that. There, no it, one, no one has taken me down yet on the paper, rock, scissors. It was rock, paper, not thumb wrestling. You're right. Yep. That was awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. There's just something about that movie. I think again, it's that time of life. I was what? 20, I don't know, 25 or whatever, when that came out, 23, just those formative years where you're bonding with your, your friends and um, just one of those quotable movies, you know, that it's Coen brothers, they just do weird stuff. And the more you watch it, the more you appreciate it. Um, same, just kind of a long lasting, so musical artist for me, that was, that was a tough one. I know Trent, I mean, it's Pearl Jam and there's no doubt about it, but I'm pretty eclectic. I like a lot of different music. Um, my mom was a classically, uh, trained pian um, violinist. So we listened to a lot of classical music. She was into, um, uh, plays growing up. So it inundated with show tunes and I kind of, you was exposed a lot, of, a lot of different types of music growing up in blue earth. It was country music, classic rock. Um, then when I got to college, a lot of alternative music I was turned on to. Um, but an artist who's been with me my entire life is Paul Simon. You know, I just remember my brother being into Paul Simon, my my uh, my uncles, and um, hearing about the. I had some relatives who were at the Central Park concert in New York, who talked about what a life changing experience that was, and um, yeah, and I just started listening to, to it on my own and just fell in love with Simon and Garfunkel and then Paul Simon when his solo career and. Loved him on Saturday Night Live too. I was, you know, a big part of my life growing up watching Saturday Night Live. He was on there a lot, and um, so that, that that's probably the one I kind of go back to that I've listened to, you know, in pretty much my entire life. Is the one artist who spanned, you know, my well, forty years, forty-five years. Um, yeah, definitely glad there's an opportunity to promote literacy here. So, <laughs> favorite author. Um, I, I kind of, you know, some of the, some of the books I teach and get to teach again and again, yeah, um, are definitely a part of that, but from just my sheer enjoyment, it's either Barbara Kingsolver, who I just, I think she's got an incredible perspective. She, she has a great perspective about humanity and the natural world and through her stories, I think really brings home the importance of of that and um that's you know growing up in a in a rural area and and uh you know farming i've had a i think a sense about that connection about where our food comes from and you know not to take for granted the natural world um and her stories i think just beautifully and poetically you know share that just this spiritual connection that we have and, and not to take for granted you know our, our natural resources. So, um, I mentioned her and <clears throat> just probably the author that I've read most prolifically, his name's Kazu Ishiguru, um, who's, he's a British author, but Japanese descent. Um, but he just brings a really unique perspective of the East and the West. Um, and I don't know, just something about his writing, his stories. I just get immersed into his characters. Uh, probably the one author w without fail that I'll, I'll read and, and just completely get lost in the story like, like no other. So, all right, there you go. I think I got one of her. Yeah. I got the Poisonwood Bible. I got that. Oh, right yeah, that's, so, yeah. That's not great to hear Tim. That's probably yeah, my right favorite, there. favorite one of, of hers. So yeah, that's nice. Well so we got the picture of you growing up here. So you're on the front of the tractor spraying the weeds listening to call me Al, you know, so we, we got it going. <laughs> so we got it going on here. All right. Growing up on blue earth, Minnesota. Nice. Yeah. So moving on here. Um, we, we could skip forward a little bit. I think maybe briefly talk about college and then we can get into how you got to Hastings 
um, if there was any stops before Hastings, how you got into teaching as well. And then we could slowly maybe get into your uh, coaching career as well. So sure. let's, let's maybe skip forward a little bit to college, yeah, your, your road to Hastings. And then uh, obviously you're still teaching English right now. And then how many years you coach, what sports you coached uh, for how long. And that's where we'll stop right there. Sounds good. Yeah. I, uh, I went to St. John's for four years and, and had an opportunity to play tennis there. D3 tennis experiences is pretty nice. You know, it's, you're not, you're not uh, um, shackled to the sport the way you, I think you would be <laughs> if you're on scholarship or something like that. So it was really just a nice extension of high school sports experience. Um, and I went to college kind of with the idea of being a journalist was I had, I had a love of writing um, and of course sports. And I thought being a sports journalist would be a pretty cool life. Um, but then I started doing tennis camps during the summer. I, I had an opportunity to do tennis and life camps at Gustavus Adolphus. Uh, my high school coach that I had senior year, that was his uh, summer gig. And I never went there as a kid, but I kind of knew about it. And, and he, the, what, what he said about it, talked about it. I mean, it, it was just a, a love affair that he had with these camps. And so kind of applied and, and got an opportunity. Kind of one of the outsiders, you know, it was mostly Gusties and, but, incredible experience. I did that for three years and that's really where I made the switch to, I just love working with, with kids and kind of my perspective on journalism soured as I started really getting an understanding of what kind of a dreary life it is. Even if you're going to all these sporting events, I started shadowing some journalists and just realized, man, this long hours, late nights, um, the lifestyle of teaching just really appealed to me and, and being able to coach and, you know, still tap into my love of, of literature and writing and um, it's, it's been a, a wonderful match. So <laughs> different time I was offered my first job without even interviewing or applying because Blue Earth was looking for a tennis coach and an English teacher. And my mom was still teaching there at the time. So she just put a little bug in the ear of the principal said, my son's looking for a job. So the principal called me and essentially offered me a job, <laughs> which I'm sure pisses a lot of people off to hear that. Um, but uh, particularly how um, difficult it is to, you know, sometimes find teaching jobs, particularly in certain fields. Uh, I was pretty blessed. It was a very different time. Um, now, I also realized I couldn't go back home. I did one year in Blue Earth. Um, my wife was doing grad school at Mankato, but she got accepted to the U of M for for speech therapy um and yeah then my wife kelly and i knew that living in small town blue earth wasn't in our long-term plans um so then i applied to a bunch of jobs around the cities and um had some interviews but i don't know some of your listeners or i don't tim if you remember if you were around when rosie tarnowski was um teaching or yeah she she did the um, the facts before Amanda Milholland, but, okay. but, but she's the aunt who took me to the world series in 1987. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So huge connection there. And she told me they were looking for an English teacher in Hastings. And she, I think helped me get an interview. You know, Rich Clymer was the principal at the time and, and she and Rich were, were very tight, but, uh, um, Rich made it very clear that, uh, Rosie helped me get the interview, but I'm have to get the job on my own, but I had a great interview and, um, I think having tennis experience, you know, always is a feather in, in applications caps, being able to coach and being willing to say, you'll do whatever, you know, at that time. <laughs> and that's what got me to Hastings. Um, and yeah, I've coached every year in some way, shape or form since I started in 2000. So I did middle school for about three years. I did the JV job for the boys for a couple of years, coached the girls varsity for about five and I think I've done the boys varsity for about the last 13. Um, so it's a very surreal spring right now. In many ways, of course, but really just not coaching. Um, it's been, a, it's yeah. But, you know, it's been a very enjoyable experience just to be able to step back and take a little bit more time with my own kids. So, For sure. So obviously uh, you got into coaching and you got into teaching and you, you got kind of that passion at those tennis camps growing up. So why do you think you got into coaching or what do you think 
was one of the main driving factors? Why'd you fall in love with teaching and coaching? And uh, maybe the character skills that are most important to you that you really tried to skill instill um, maybe in your students and, and definitely your athletes um, over that 20 something plus career coaching. For sure. Yeah. That was something I was really, you know, you think a lot about it, you know, how did I get to where I am? And it really, I think goes back to who, who made the big impression on me. Sports was a huge part of my life growing up. So I think it, a lot of, it was my coaches who I really, you know, latched onto for, for their guidance. Um, my high school basketball coach was an incredible mentor for me, pushed me hard, got more out of me than I ever, you know, ever imagined, um, challenged me, which, you know, wasn't used to a lot, you know, broke me down sometimes, mm -hmm. but built me back up. You know, he was that kind of coach, but did it really well and just had a great respect and, and, and appreciation for him. His name was Gary Holmseth. Um, and my tennis coaches, you know, I had a, a my uncle. So my the cousins that I hung out with, their uncle, he was a huge tennis guy. Um, but he lived up in the cities. Um, but his four sons came down and played. His name was Chuck Anderson, and he coached at Stillwater for many years. And he Dinah, he took a lot of a lot of those teams, girls and boys, to the state tournament. Like he was, he's a coaching legend. Um, and I had it, didn't probably appreciate it at the time, but just had free lessons from him for you know many years of my life because his four sons came and lived with my cousins in Blue Earth. Um, he uh, he was kind of a stubborn old goat. He had like a Santa Claus beard and just a gruff character. And they were, his boys were set to go to Cooper. Two of them were playing at the high school already. And two of them were, one was like a seventh grader. One was an eighth grader. They had a rule that you had to be in ninth grade to play varsity at Cooper. Well, he didn't like that. His boys were good enough. All four of them should have been on the varsity. And he said, fine. And he said, they're going to go live with my sister down in Blue Earth. They, he knew they had good tennis in Blue Earth <laughs> and helped make Blue Earth this tennis dynasty for about a decade because his four boys were down there. It's just one of the weirder things you could ever imagine, you know, just sending your, your four kids off just on principle because you're upset about a rule. But <laughs> boy, I sure benefited from that, being able to um, – get coaching from him and be around his boys. You know, I had just a lot of great mentors for tennis and just sort of got exposed to it through osmosis. Um, but senior year, probably one of the more uh, influential people in my life was this guy. His name is David Austin, who, who worked at the tennis and life camps. And um, I didn't, I, there was a legendary coach forever in Blue Earth. His name was Hal Schrader, who retired before I started playing varsity. So I just had fill in coaches, great guys math teacher and, and a couple other people who just filled in, but they didn't know tennis. But senior year, this young guy, 23-year-old guy, David Austin, moves into Blue Earth and just as energetic and positive. I mean, everything we talk about now about, you know, transformative coaching, he he was that. I mean, every time I, I, I think about it, he checked off every box of what it means to be a transformative coach. He was the kind of teacher who, um, during his lunch, he would go find the kid sitting by himself in the cafeteria and have his lunch with that kid. I mean, everybody who had him in class, they just felt like they were the only ones being taught by him and same on the tennis coach. Um, and so f really it's just followed in his footsteps a little bit and working at Gustavus Adolphus and he made me his kind of point man for the bluer summer program after I graduated that summer essentially ran the, the entire Blue Earth Summer program as an 18-year-old with his, you know, p belief in me and, and trust in me. Um, and then one of the most uh, horrible days of my life was the day he died in a car accident. Um, 1995, Thanksgiving night, he and his brother were driving to Chicago and hit black ice and, and spun out and, and uh, were just devastated by a, by a semi coming the other way. And uh, just shook the town, just destroyed the town. He was that kind of guy. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a moment in my life where I was like, why does stuff like that happen, right? It's just like, makes no sense. And it took me a while to try to process it. But, you know, I think he <laughs> lives on 
through everybody who's been influenced by him. I think he probably got a lot of people to go into teaching or coaching who maybe wouldn't have otherwise. And so in some way he's, he's living on larger than ever. And I give him credit for a lot of what I try to do or <laughs> hope to do can never do it nearly as well as he could. Um, but, uh, one of my favorite things is seeing former players of mine get into teaching, get into coaching. And, you know, after I retired, um, it's from coaching. This has just been like a cool experience to see Alex Zuzig, uh, taking over the boys team mm -hmm. and just know that, um, I hope that I had some influence on, on him as a, as a young man and, I'm excited to see him, you know, kind of build the program in his own vision, but hopefully, uh, you know, keep some of the some of the values and ideas that that uh, that I felt were important that I know I got from Dave Austin and that maybe, you know, in some small way that's still living on. So, um, yeah, there there I've been pretty blessed with with incredible role models growing up and and I. I think it would have been hard pressed for me to find a better profession for me, taking all the um, wisdom and knowledge that I've that I've absorbed from from so many great people. It's really been a good fit. You talked about him being that kind of transformative coach. Um, do do you remember? And it's hard to maybe pick one thing, but do you remember like something very specific that he did? Maybe a practice competition, and you talked about him being a teacher too, and in his role as a teacher impacting kids' lives, or maybe a certain lesson that he taught you or just something he did every single day. Do you, do you remember maybe just one? And it could be a couple of different things too. You don't have to pick just one, but sure. maybe something specific that you still kind of, you still remember and you still hold on to and maybe you used in your teaching or coaching as well. I just remember that just, um, just, <laughs> I don't know how to express it, but just that sheer confidence and belief he had in everyone. Just he just burst with confidence around him. He just made you believe that you were good enough and you and and you could do more than you could ever imagine. I mean, and he's just this positive support. Never never saw him in a bad mood. Never saw him take a day off. Never saw his enthusiasm drop. Um, and one thing I just remember too was cool is he brought down some of the other instructors from Gustavus Adolphus and just made, he just, and you would hear, hear them talk about it later. Cause I would then, you know, eventually I worked with some of these guys as kind of peers, but first I knew them um, as just these, you know, legends that he, he would build them up in, in our minds. God, he just had so much fun with everything. He just made the, you know, little things like he's like, all right, these guys from Gustavus are going to come down and, and he would tell us all about them and stories about them and just build them up as these legends. And uh, and he would do the same with them. He would just kind of talk about Blue Earth and Blue Earth Tennis being like God's country. You know, you guys are going to come down to God's country. And uh, I don't know if you're worthy enough. I mean, it's a pretty special play. You know, th that's just the kind of stuff he would, he would just exaggerate. And just he was such a storyteller and character. You just couldn't help to just love being around him. Um, and... Uh, that that's probably what sticks in my mind. And I just kind of remember um, how that came into, came into being for real for me on the court. Um, I'll never forget senior year. Um, I was, we were playing the section doubles and, you know, my partner and I, we, we got the number one seed and thought we were pretty, you know, hot stuff. Um, we had a really tough draw actually. It was, they just seeded like the top four teams at that time. And after that, it was just a random draw. So we were the one seed, but we probably ended up playing the number five team in the section in the first round. <laughs> and my partner and I hadn't really played much together during the season. And so we just probably needed a match or two just to kind of get familiar with each other. And so we lost the first set three, six or something like that. And then we were down. I remember one, four in the second set. And you know, again, your high school, my senior year, I got visions. I'm going to go to the state tournament. You know, this is it. And um, we're going to lose first round. And I was just about, you know, going to lose it. And 
at that time he he had gone and watched some other matches and had come back and we were down one four and just him sitting on the side of the court somehow I think made all the difference and we we uh won the next eleven games. <laughs> we we were down one four, we closed out that set six four, and then we won the, the last set six zero. Um and I'll never forget that moment when he came and just sat down and just the look in his eye, just no, <laughs> no worry, no doubt. He just was like, I'm sure he was thinking the same thing, but somehow he was such an incredible actor. He just kind of exuded this belief and confidence. So you got this. Um, and I would love, that'd be one thing I'd love to ask him when never got a chance to like, were you just about shitting your pants at that point? <laughs> <laughs> us down one four. Two games from losing first round. Um, but, you know, because of that, then we went on, you know, won the section and, and made it all the way to the semifinals of the of the state tournament and went on a really nice run um, and would have missed out on that. You know, I just think about how devastating that might have been, how I might have maybe <laughs> soured from tennis. You know, you never know how you might react to something like that. Um, but I think because of that, you know, just left high school with an incredible tennis experience and um you know it's really just shaped so much of my life it's it's interesting the paths that we go down nice so think about your career then coaching too so obviously about a 20 year almost over 20 year career do you think there was obviously there was something but what do you think maybe one thing or maybe a couple things from the end of your career that you improved on or maybe switch your philosophy on or something uh, you just completely changed from when you first started. You know, I know a lot of us are uh, go-getters right away, you know, and, and we're going to change the world right away, but, um, and maybe our, our coaching uh, evolves and matures as we go along too, you know? So what do you think something is that kind of evolved as you, as you kept on coaching over that long career? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, one of the, one of the things that I, I most of my players would, would tell you that, that that was sort of a thing for me much of my coaching career was that I'd have an explosion at least once a season. Like I thought that was important, you know, to like something just really got me upset and I would just, you know, and not full on Bobby Knight, you know, but I would just <laughs> kind of have a tantrum about something. It was a tantrum is really what it was. And I, I think my players kind of, yeah. They it helped them respond probably in some way. Oh, coach is pretty upset. And, and, um, you know, I thought that, I thought that was kind of an important part of, of coaching, you know, that, that you show, you show your team that, that you've got that mean streak in you. Um, last couple of years, it really wasn't until the last couple of years where it just kind of, maybe I was just tired. I don't know, but I, um, and maybe it's part of like parenting, growing up as a parent too, and just realizing like, that doesn't have to be a part of that's really, I don't think natural to me. And I don't what it doesn't have to be a part. And I don't know if it's really that effective and maybe it does probably more harm than good. And I kind of got rid of that um, part of it. You know, I thought it was uh, so on some sort of necessity out of coaching, but I think it just sort of distracted from, from the other things that, uh, that make for good coaching. And I think about Dave Austin. I don't ever remember Dave Austin having a tantrum uh, and probably as effective as a coach as there ever were, in, in my opinion. So that was definitely one thing. Um, another part that I, or aspect of my coaching that I think I really changed was just getting really better at leaning on my assistant coaches. And I think having Marissa Welch as, uh, as my assistant coach for, for, you know, quite a few years and working with her in the summer and just realizing that I don't have to be the, uh, the solution, the final say or whatever. Um, just, and getting to coach with Kirk Johnson for so many years too. You know, I think we had three or four really good years together. Um, that yeah, he said such a different, unique skill set, And I'm just, I want to tap into that as much as possible. Of, of how he connects and relates with kids and let him be in charge of certain things a little bit more. And, and with, you know, I think he really helped me to start to see that. Um, and then, you know, when Marissa came onto the scene, 
it was just like, oh my God, she, this is just an incredible coach and talent and, and wealth of, um, of knowledge here. I, I, I am doing the team a disservice if I don't get out of the way a little bit more and let her shine and, and take more leadership. Um, and it just felt great to work more as a team. You know, I think for, for forever, I think as a classroom teacher, you find that it's just you. You know, so much it is really just you so much of the time and, and much of my teaching career. I've taught classes where I'm the only one teaching them. I don't have that team. And so I always thought it was just a natural team player. But when it came to coaching, I really had to learn how to be more of a team player as a coach. And, um, well, yeah, Kurt and Marissa are just incredible to work with. And, and I would, you know, part of I wish you could keep coaching because then, you know, Sammy, the, you know, she's still helping out with the team this year, and, and just we had the three of us going there for a little while, and um, it was a great, uh, great experience to be able to really feel like I'm starting to understand this team thing as a coach, and probably still a lot of growth left to do with that. But uh, I feel like at some point I'll come back to it, and in maybe that assistant role, and and can appreciate it from that end a little bit more too. Nice. Next question, maybe a little bit similar to that, and. And you might have already talked about it, but if you want to elaborate, elaborate it or maybe add something, that'd be great. So say you jumped in a time machine right now and you go back to your first year coaching tennis. What is, what's some things that you would do different? Um, maybe uh, change about the way you coached. And you might, like I said, you might have already talked about this, but maybe something that you know now that you wish you knew back then. Uh, or like I said, something that you would change from that first, um, first year coaching. Boy, that first year coaching or teaching for me, I think I was just, just, uh, you know, a tightly wound, uh, mess of fear, uh, just constantly worrying about, you know, being the authority figure and, and having to be the one in charge, just really not used to that in any, you know, with a whole team, um, had a lot of great coaching experience with summer camps, but there you still, you've got a lot of support to to make sure that things go well but yeah coaching that first year it was me and about 40 middle schoolers <laughs> down at roadside court and uh at the um and that was you know i wish i could kind of yeah go back and tell that that coach that just do the best you can you know have fun with it um so, you know, that's, that's going to be your, your, your secret to success. You know, don't, you know, just kind of what you're focusing on when you when that first year of teaching and coaching, um, you kind of lose sight of the big picture. You just so f afraid of what you don't want to have happen, right. Rather than having this vision of what you want to see happen. And I think that's just kind of true for anything. And I think it's, as I've gotten older, um, it just makes more sense to put your energy into what you want to have happen. And yeah, you know, sort of like, uh, uh, if you go, you golf, right, Tim? Not very well. No, I, I don't either. What, but... what I do, I wouldn't consider it golfing, but, um, but I so have. Like, all right. So very like, like, so like the rest of us, but I think, I think most of, you know, that at times when I hit a bad shot, you're right. You're thinking about, I don't want to hit it in the water. I don't want to hit it into the woods. And then you end up doing that. Cause it goes, yeah. thinking about. Mm -hmm. But as I, you know, I've gotten a little better out on the golf course of, get that visual of what you want to have happen. And that's just, a, I think a really good metaphor for everything, coaching, teaching life, put your energy in what you want to have happen rather than fear of what you don't want to have happen. And, and that's what I'd like to tell, you know, my 23 year old self. I hear you. That's, that's one thing we talk about too. This, uh, the fear versus the hope and just a statement. What if versus even if, you know, I think that that fear is that what if, you know, what, what if these 40 kids do this or what if this, or what, what if this happens, you know, in the, that's that kind of fear, you know, and that the hope then, like you're talking about maybe as a more mature coach is that even if, you know, even if I don't have the answers, I'll, I'll be able to figure it out and find out the answers and we'll just have fun no matter what here at, at roadside playing tennis with a bunch of middle school kids. So, yeah. Yeah. But if there ever is something to be frightened about, that probably was it. <laughs> that's so it right probably, there, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if they ever started running out into traffic or, but there are definitely times where they were trying to hit cars, you know, with, <laughs> <laughs> on the end court you're on one end and they're down at the other end so there probably were some legit things to be afraid of but uh uh yeah for nice. sure a couple more questions then asking about uh getting more background on yourself coaching then so looking back at your career 
Uh, what do you think the best or the most rewarding thing about coaching in general um, has been for you? Yeah, I think I kind of just really, again, seeing kids who graduate played, played for me, wanting to still for sure keep playing, you know, just to hear about kids who actually, you know, went and played at college a little bit, even like on a club team or um, it's just great to hear other, you know, past players or who are doing a league, right? They're, you know, maybe almost late twenties or thirties now, but they're still playing in, in, in a league or, um, you know, like it's with Alex Zuzik into, into coaching and teaching himself. Um, Craig Rahway is someone who was on that first year I started coaching middle school tennis. He was a seventh grader that year. And then, um, he he was on my JV team, and then he was on my varsity team, and then he and I coached together. Uh, so just a special relationship with Craig Rahway. Uh Just to kind of see players that I coach still in the coaching ranks, um, the relationships you have with with your players. Um, I, yeah, revitalized the uh, the St. Cloud trip. You know, I think a lot in you know sad that's something that that hasn't happened the last couple of years because of COVID and, and other things. Um, just getting to hang out with your players in, in that sort of form, you know, setting where, you know, they just love they're it's, you're part of something that they just love being a part of. They just, you know, they've got their calendar set for this date and it's something that you're a part of that you made happen for them. Just seeing kids just being excited about, um, those moments and having those memories forever, um, helping kids, you know reach their potential on the court and, and just, you know, hopefully those connections about what we're doing on the court is an extension to what you do off the court. Um, and, uh, yeah, just seeing, seeing those, those kids kind of living out those, those, uh, those lessons, um, in, in a better way than I ever would have imagined. So it's nice to kind of think you had, yeah, you had a small part in, in some of, some of these kids, uh, being, being good citizens, good people. Yeah, I think you just answered my last question here. <laughs> and so the last one is, uh, what does success mean to you? And you might have just answered that with your last answer, but if you want to expand on it, uh, you could go for it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think, the, yeah, just kind of what I was saying, I think is pretty, pretty spot on, but success too is, um, not, not the end, right. Not the end results really, but that you've done every that process, you've done everything you can to, you know, to, to hopefully get the outcomes you, you want to achieve. And, and usually it works out better than you, than you ever hoped if you just kind of trust that process and, and put your energy into um, making each day, making each moment, you know, as, as valuable and, and, and uh, you know, worthwhile as you can. Um, so I hope, uh, yeah, I can continue to remember, you know, that's the great thing about coaching is, is you, you think it just helps you formulate these really good philosophies and ways to approach it because you can really s see how it pays off. You know, you've got matches, you've got e development. Um, and then I think coaching really helped me kind of be grounded in a lot of other things of parts of my life of, of teaching and parenting and relationships. And, um, I'm hoping that, uh, those ways of operating stick with me, you know, that I continue to just trust the process and everything I do and, and take joy in the journey. For sure. Well, I had a big section of questions on influences, but I think you, you hit every single one. So um, I do have a question at the end, if you just want to add anything, but maybe I'll, we'll, we'll do that right now. Is there anything you want to add maybe on influences from high school, uh, maybe any other teachers or coaches or, expand on any of those, those guys that you already talked about. Uh, and then as well as assistant coaches you had throughout your career, um, or maybe anybody else that you worked with that you just want to talk a little bit more about or anything about them that they brought to the table that you really kind of latched onto or still use in your teaching. Or maybe you, like you said, maybe if you do get back into coaching, something you're going to take from them and, and use in the future. Yeah. I think one of the big things um, they kind of already touched on, but it's just that team approach. Uh, how I just don't ever take that for granted and um, how appreciative I, I, I've been for my, for my wife, Kelly, for the last 20 years, you know, for, she's essentially, as you know, Tim, when you're coaching, your, your spouse is a, is a single parent for many of the, many of those months. And yep. 
for April and May, I mean, just really, and how, you know, she, you know, just kept things strong and positive at home and, and during those months and really just trying to pay back that as much as I can um, with that team approach, you know, um, I've had a great team experience with, uh, with my pod mates, um, teaching, you know, just kind of how our school is set up. Um, you know, we used to be in the one C pod with uh, Amy Childers and Mike Harp and Natalie Cardell, you know, and three of us had been together for so many years down there. Uh, just, you spend, yeah, probably a lot more time with, with, uh, your, your close teacher, friends in that uh, you work with and coach with um and just so just really thankful for the for the you know just the camaraderie and team approach i had with with that wonderful group of teachers and now um got just a wonderful dynamic in in the 2b with uh, with bill Ruder and colvin and and mj uh it's just a great dynamic up there uh but fun too we got he heidi debruzzi is, is next to me i coach all of her daughters at some point um all four of them and so just to kind of get to to work with her side by side a little bit with some of our students and and uh you know keep some of those tennis memories alive with her but um yeah that's something i appreciate about but just about i think why i've been able to you know stick with teaching and coaching and at the same school for you know 20 years now is is just that sort of atmosphere is is natural in hastings you know the camaraderie with your with your fellow teachers and coaches um what trent's done you know, i think he probably kept me in coaching a lot longer than i was probably planning i think but just i got renewed excitement when <laughs> trent took over as athletic director to you know be a part of of what he was building and the the coaches breakfasts in the morning and just being a part of that and and you know feeling really connected with a vision about how to how to you know bring this community along together with with uh, what what i really have come to believe in in, in the important value of sport and and athletics and and uh um yeah i can't it's just so many people that i'm appreciative for with that team effort and i hope i can keep experiencing that and yeah at some point get back to coaching once you know my kids are out of the house and um i i probably will hopefully yeah that'd be awesome uh, last two questions then for you, Mick. And, uh, and we think this, these are maybe the most important questions. Not that your whole life wasn't important here that we talked about, but <laughs> maybe these are the two most important questions here. So um, if you could give parents or coaches two pieces of advice from your perspective, uh, what do you think they would be and why? Um, I did write these down because I, I didn't want to shortchange these because I think that's a really important question. <laughs> Uh, one piece of advice is actually one I got from Pete Zach, who's another person I'd be admiss not to mention his influence on, on me as a, as a coach and a person and a parent. He's really, you know, was a, <laughs> another great support, a person that, uh, um, I think helped, helped, helped me as a coach and, and just enjoy the job so much more. But I just remember him talking about dreaming big. He just kind of said, what do you want help with? what sort of things you want to see happen, you know, you just got me to imagine and just kind of get my head out of the uh, sand a little bit of just the day-to-day -day grind. And just, again, I think a lot of what Trent does um, with the big vision, you know, and just start thinking, you know, once you kind of get the, you know, the rote basic things down and you can do those things. All right, then the, let's, let's think bigger. I think that's important for um, yeah, parents and, and coaches to, to, to remember that. And, have that hope right and not the fear um and just probably the other thing just i think ties in a lot of what we've already talked about just surrounding yourself with, with really good people you know good assistance um i think for parents it's kind of just a cool thing too to see over the years is when there's been groups of parents whose kids are together and they become good friends or maybe they were good friends beforehand how much fun they have just coming to the matches and hanging out together and having that shared experience. Um, you know, just uh, appreciate that, that aspect of it, of being able to, um, you know, enjoy the high school athletic experience with, with other really good people, share that experience and, and find ways to make it special and memorable together. 
for sure. Uh, same question then, a little bit, a little bit different though. If you could give students or uh, student athletes or, or um, yeah, student athletes two pieces of advice from your perspective, what would they be and why? Yeah, that's probably what I, you know, you spend so much of your time giving advice to kids, but with anything you can give way too much, right? And, and then they don't hear anything. So I think it is kind of important how do you narrow it down to just a couple pieces of, of advice. Um, one is to do multiple things, you know, get away from just doing one sport, even if that's your love or your passion, um, find different groups of people, find, you know, different way to, to, you know, exercise your mind, your body. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily another sport, but do another activity. Um, I think there's just such value to, to trying to find some well-roundedness and, and to do a variety of different things and learn differently. Um, it's only going to help you in the long run. And um, the other two, I th the other one is just, you can never give enough gratitude. I think from, uh, for, for anybody, but I think particularly um, from a student perspective to, to everybody, you know, your, your teachers, your coaches, your parents, the uh, kids you you play against, you know, um, find opportunities to be grateful. You know, it's 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 I think one of the most valuable things you can do to, you know, to build long lasting relationships and friendships and men mentors and mentees, but also I think to really help you ground and enjoy every moment, as we know from the last year that nothing's guaranteed. So. Um, relish and cherish and be thankful for, for every moment that, that, that you do get to have, um, be a part of. And even in a year like this, you know, think about what you can still be grateful for and thankful for, and it's going to make the experience worthwhile rather than thinking about time passing and just checking your watch to see when you can, when this is going to be over, when this class is going to be over, when this month is going to be over, when this year is going to be or get out of that mindset and start enjoying and appreciating the moments you have. Um, and that's just going to make, you know, whatever's next even better. Well said. So Mick, that's all the questions I got for you. Uh, anything else you would like to add? Like I already said, the, the mic is yours and you, you could uh, run away with it. Um, well, just as Praxis said, gratitude piece, Tim, I really appreciate you and, and Trent setting up this uh, podcast. I think it's it's a really cool thing, and I really am humbled by the opportunity to to be a part of it. Um, and uh, thank you. Thanks, Mick.